This is Lanny Davis. You're listening to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Rolf Klesen and you are listening to episode 85 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is famous US attorney Lenny Davis. He is a lawyer, consultant, lobbyist, author, television commentator, but most importantly, he was he served as special counsel to President Bill Clinton and and sure enough, he has an important message for you today. Before we jump into the interview, I have some news for you. Germany has joined DesignView. That means that in one single database you can search for designs in the US, Hague designs, European designs, German designs, UK designs, designs in France and many other countries. This is a free database. Just Google DesignView. The EU IPO has just published new implementing and delegated regulations regarding trademarks. They were published on the website of the EU IPO in the official journal of the European Union and the text of the the provisions of the texts will apply starting from 1st of October 2017. You may also have heard that Ferrari lost its famous Testarossa trademark in Germany. As you may know, trademarks have to be used to be enforced. And in this particular case, a German licensee of the Testarossa trademark cancelled the trademark for non-use and Ferrari was not able to show use of the Testarossa trademark except for spare parts and service, which did not constitute use for the car itself. But don't think that you can use the Testarossa trademark freely in Germany now. The former licensee, of course, reserved the trademark rights in Testarossa, so there's a new owner of the Testarossa trademark in Germany. The European Patent Office just published the 17th edition of their brochure, How to Get a European Patent, which is very helpful. It was published on 1st of July 2017 and gives all applicants and of course representatives an outline of the procedure involved in applying for a European patent, offering some very practical advice for smoothing the way through the various stages of the application. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Lenny Davis. Ralph, our guest today is Lanny Davis. Lanny is co-founder and partner of the public relations firm Trident DMG and co-founder and partner of the law firm of Davis, Goldberg and Galper, PLLC, located in Washington, D.C. Lanny is a lawyer, crisis manager, consultant, author and television commentator, providing strategic counsel to clients under scrutiny on crisis management and legal issues by combining legal, media and political strategies. Lanny develops and manages communications programs around litigation and crises to protect brand reputations. Lanny represents individuals 
countries and companies in high-stakes global crises, litigation, government investigations, and crisis management. He has conceived, created, and led media strategies for clients that have included CEOs, sports celebrities, political leaders, world leaders, and both U.S. and international companies. He has handled the cases of public figures from Martha Stewart to Dan Snyder, companies from Whole Foods to Starbucks, and political figures from President Bill Clinton to Representative Charlie Rangel. During the the Clinton administration, Lanny served as special counsel to President Bill Clinton and was a spokesperson for the President and the White House on matters concerning campaign finance investigations and other legal issues. In 2005, President George Bush appointed Lanny to serve on the five-member Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board created by the U.S. Congress as part of the 2005 Intelligence Reform Act. Lanny is a graduate of both Yale College and Yale Law School. Welcome, Lanny, to IP Fridays. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to be on IP Friday. Thank you. Lanny, thanks so much for spending time with us here on IP Fridays. I first want to talk to you about your illustrious background. I know it's been a number of years, but what led you to the practice of law? Well, I came out of Yale College where I was in the same fraternity with somebody named George W. Bush, and he did run for president, but the president of my fraternity, and we became close friends. Mm -hmm. And as I've told him since his two terms uh, as president of the United States, the only time I ever voted for him was as president of my fraternity. But (laughs) we remain close friends to this day. And what really led me to law school as when I graduated Yale College, I wanted to be a journalist. I was uh, called chairman of the Yale Daily News. And uh, instead of making a right turn to go to New York to try to get on the New York Times, I got lost and I ended up making a left turn and went to Yale Law School. Uh, the, the serious answer is that I always saw a law degree as uh, the beginning of a career choice, not the end. So I always wanted to do something in public service and in politics, and I saw a law degree as opening those options. Excellent. Now, how have you seen the practice of law change over the decades, particularly with respect to issues involving intellectual property? Well, the intellectual property issue that used to be very arcane and engineer and technical oriented and therefore I didn't practice uh, intellectual property law or patent law, except uh, as a young associate trying to learn the vocabulary. Uh, This area, especially in the era since the turn of the 21st century, where technology is such an important part of our lives and innovation and creation is so fundamental to our quality of life that more than I think any other legal discipline, the impact of development in intellectual property law, litigation, which I'm involved in at the moment against Ford Motor Corporation, and anything to do with technology and trade secrets has a great impact on the public. Mm -hmm. And that's where my combination of law, media, and politics that we've created in both my law firm and in an affiliated uh, public relations firm Uh, of all subjects, intellectual property uh, is paramount, that you have a public message and a public explanation of why you're fighting to protect a trade secret, or in our case, why you're attacking someone 
who you think has stolen a trade secret, which uh, in our case, we're accusing Ford of stealing our intellectual property. Yeah, let's move uh, into a discussion of that case that you've been heavily involved with. Can you provide a little background on Versada and their automotive configuration management software, otherwise known as ACM? The simplest way of explaining a very complicated topic is that for 10 years, Ford used this software to avoid what we calculated to be over a billion dollars in expenses that we saved them in product recalls, defects, and other manufacturing uh, and customer care costs by using a computer and a program to eliminate all of the possibilities of something going wrong if you change one part in an automobile. Mm -hmm. If you change your sound system or a carburetor, it sounds simple, but it actually triggers a lot of manufacturing issues because they're connected to something that is connected to something else. The ACM makes it simple by following certain rules, allows Ford to make changes in its automobiles, sometimes customized by customers asking for the changes, such as a new sound system that gets past the triggering of all sorts of possible issues that would create problems, including causing recalls. And that's the uh, product called ACM that was invented over a long period of time and which we are accusing in uh, the federal district court in the Western District of Michigan. We are accusing Ford of stealing and then covering up the theft. And that's what the litigation is all about. And what's at stake in this case? What what does this mean for Ford, uh, Versada and other Ford vendors uh, once the decision is rendered? Well, in the short, narrow sense, to answer your question, it means Versada being compensated for a product in which it invested over many, many years in intellectual property, shared all its trade secrets, its manuals, its know-how, taught Ford how to use it. And just at the point that there was a renewal of a license, Versada was informed by Ford Oops, we forgot to tell you for the last three years, behind closed doors in the dark of night, secretly, we've developed a substitute product. Goodbye, have a Merry Christmas. And mm-hmm. that was in the December period of 2014. So Versada felt uh, the same way you feel when your house is burglarized, violated, and filed a lawsuit uh, to try to not only recover the billion dollars of, of savings that Ford realized, but also to defend a principle that is way beyond this case that everyone who cares about intellectual property and innovation recognizes. If you can't protect your invention, then the innovation incentive goes down very, very quickly. And that's why the patent laws were invented. Some years ago in 2008, a movie was produced about Ford stealing somebody else's invention. It's a true story and the movie is called Flash of Genius. Someone came to Ford with an idea. Hey, when it's not raining really hard, but there's just mist, there ought to be a way for a windshield wiper to come intermittently and not have to go full speed. And that's how the intermittent windshield wiper got invented. The only problem, and Alan Alda started in the movie, is that Ford said, thank you very much. It was an individual. And Ford simply stole it. And then years later had to pay millions of dollars in a judgment. So I'm only describing 
a true story and a nightmare for this uh, individual in the movie Flash of Genius. We're going through the same thing with Ford, and we're not going to let them get away with it. Of course, these are allegations yet to be proven in court. We respect the judicial process and certainly the judge, but we want to get our facts out to correct the record because in the course of stealing our product, they disparaged our product and they smeared our product to try to justify what they did. So my job is to correct the record. Now, Ford has claimed that they maintain a so-called Chinese wall uh, between their engineers that developed uh, the replacement software platform and those that worked with Versada's ACM software. Uh, we now understand that to be false. What does that mean for Versada's case? Well, it was one of those Perry Mason moments for those of your audience. And I know you have a big audience that are too young to remember Perry Mason. Here's a very famous television series with Perry Mason being the lawyer. Mm -hmm. And at some moment at the end of the program, someone would stand up in the courtroom and fess up. And that would be the Perry Mason moment. Well, we had a Perry Mason moment after being assured uh, that the Chinese wall had been honored and that people with whom we had shared all our secrets were not allowed to work on this so-called substitute product. And we were given that assurance eyeball to eyeball in a room full of people, we then took a deposition and the person who was our project manager, who knew all of our secrets, admitted to being the project manager of the secret group that developed what we call our, the copycat product to ours. So our uh, press conference on this topic had a big wall behind me with a huge hole. And on one side of the wall was a cardboard character that looked a lot like Henry Ford, the original, and the same cardboard character was on the other side of the wall. And our question posed to Ford, which of course they've never answered is, if you are really sincere about a Chinese wall and you want to develop something on your own that doesn't copy from our intellectual property, how can you have the same people on both sides of the wall? Interesting. They disclosed in, they disclosed in discovery that it wasn't just one or two people who we had shared our trade secrets with who then created their so-called substitute. It was 20 or 30 people who were software engineers with whom we shared all of our trade secrets, who promised they would keep confidential what we shared with them. And they admitted in a list that is on the public record, uh, just as the deposition is on the public record, an individual named Mike Sullivan of Ford admitted, yes, he was our project manager. He was also one of the managers of the secret group that developed the copycat product. Interesting. Now, Lanny, Ford has challenged Versada patents nearly 30 times and the United States Patent and Trademark Office getting rejected every time. Uh, what does this mean for the litigation? Could you describe the impact and, and, and how is this being handled going forward? As I said, I'm not an intellectual property patent lawyer, but mm -hmm. uh, the, the law firm that I'm working with has told me that in their history, they have never heard of a company with a distinguished law firm going to the United States Patent Office 30 times to challenge patents on their originality or their validity mm -hmm. and losing every single time. Indeed, we had eight patents filed that related to our ACM product, and 
excuse me, six patents, Ford originally said, well, we didn't infringe anything. We invented it brand new behind the Chinese wall. And then, of course, it came out that was a lie. Then they changed their argument. Well, actually, the patents that you filed are invalid. So instead of litigating it in a courtroom, we're going to go to the patent office. And so they filed what are called inter partes reviews, IPRs, which mm -hmm. challenged the validity of our patents. They lost every single one. And the patent attorneys that we are working with in my law firm have told me that it is unprecedented. And maybe the law firm for Ford can explain this, that every single challenge was rejected by the United States Patent Office. And that tells you a lot about Ford's tactics. It doesn't seem to matter what the truth is or whether it's worth bringing a legal challenge with all that expense. It just doesn't matter. They just keep filing and keep losing and the litigation goes on. But at some point, we have a very distinguished judge and we believe in the judicial process and we are confident that we will ultimately prevail in this case the same way that the poor man in Flash of Genius ultimately prevailed over Ford, that he had invented the intermittent windshield wiper, and that ultimately uh, he won that case. What lessons, Lanny, do you think could be gleaned from this case for companies that have invested considerable resources uh, in building their IP portfolios? Well, look, this is going to sound harsh, mm -hmm. but I do believe that Ford has unapologetically acted in a way that deserves this comment, because when they admitted that there was no Chinese wall, that they had lied to us, you would think even if their case is valid and they end up winning the case that we have uh, against them, you would think there would be an apology. You know, we never should have misled you. We never should have lied to you. But we don't ever get that from anyone from Ford. Uh, and so the big lesson here is if you're going to rely on the patent laws for protection, if you're going to rely on trade secret law for protection, I would suggest if you're a corporation in the industry, as in Silicon Valley, where you invent something and you expect to have some protection from theft and from lies, that there has to be an honorable partner who understands it's not about law, it's not about the rules, it's about honor. You don't steal just because you're such a big company that you can. And with all due respect, I'm not challenging anybody's personal motives. The business ethic at Ford, just watch the movie, even the trailer, which is about three minutes of Flash of Genius, which you can find by Googling that movie, you will see that at the end of the day, Ford had no defense for what it did. It ended up paying money, all that you can walk away, at least personally, all I got from the experience that we've had on this Chinese wall lie and many other lies that we believe Ford has committed is the reason they have done that is because they can, not because it's honorable, but because they can. So I would just warn anyone who thinks you have protection, be sure that the partner that you are opening the kimono and sharing all your secrets with has basic principles of honor that will not allow them to simply litigate you to death, even though they've actually stolen your product. 
Lenny, we're, we're nearing the end of our discussions today. I understand that you yourself have launched a recent podcast. Uh, tell me about it and where can people find it? Well, we will be uh, beginning uh, to issue it broadly on the Internet. We just sent out the first episode and had an introductory uh, press release. So as to where to find it, I don't have that uh, answer yet, but we okay. will certainly make uh, it known widely on the Internet how to find the podcast. Uh, we have a website called thetruthaboutford.com. Anyone going to that website can find the podcast. Basically, as I was experiencing this case, a lot of people think that intellectual property litigation is boring. I kept saying, this is another movie. You can't <laughs> make this story up. It has drama to it. It has suspense. It has human dimensions of what I respectfully suggest was dishonorable conduct. It's got a plot and a narrative. So we decided, let's do this like Homeland, where you end up one episode, and you want to turn the page and watch uh, Homeland or House of Cards, we wanted to do our own narrative about this case, and that's why we're starting these podcasts. And episode one was last week, and we'll have another episode coming up next week. Well, Lanny, thanks so much for joining us today on IP Fridays. We'll be sure to watch the outcome of this case and hope that you will continue to listen to IP Fridays. Thank you. This is Lanny Davis. Delighted to be on IP Friday. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.